1: This is Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer bicycle insurance powered by the community. I'm Ian Parkinson, and I'm at the London base of CycleFit with their CEO, Phil Cavell. As well as being an expert on the biomechanics of cycling and how to get the most efficient fit, Phil has written a book, The Midlife Cyclist. The subtitle... The roadmap for the 40-plus rider who wants to train hard, ride fast, and stay healthy pretty much sums it up. Phil, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be talking to you face-to-face rather than over Zoom. Um, There's loads of cyclist guides already out there. What what made you
0: write this one? Why did you want to write this one? Uh, Hello, Ian. Uh, You're right. It is nice to be in person. Well, if you turn the book over, the actual kind of subtitle I wanted on on the cover was Grow Old, Get Fast, Don't Die – but Bloomsbury, my publisher, said, you can't put that on the cover of a book. So we didn't put that on the cover of the book. So it, it's not really a handbook. Other people have kind of described it as the philosophy of midlife cycling. And, that, and I think that actually is a more accurate description. But to answer your question, I was in a unique position here at CycleFit. We see hundreds of middle-aged, midlife athletes all you know, every month um, and every year. And they're all trying to do unique and special things with their bodies, pushing their bodies even harder as they get into middle age. They come with a, a, a plethora of issues and problems. and So we were in a unique position, really, to kind of triage what was going on. From Do they need a physio? Do they need a surgeon? Do they need an endocrinologist? Do they need us? Do, and, and, over, and over 20 years of doing that, we've sort of grown, with this, grown up with this massive lexicon of um, unique contacts. And then we ran two lecture series here at CycleFit called The Midlife Cyclist, 2017-2018, in a, a universe ago without COVID. And they were so successful, they sold out in seconds. So there's an appetite for the, for, the, for, the, um, for the subject. I'd been researching the subject for quite a long time before that. And I'd written quite a bit of it before lockdown. Lockdown came, I had the notes, I had the research, I had the interviews. I just stuck my head down and wrote it.
1: One of the really interesting things that um, stuck out uh, for me was the fact that this generation of sort of older athletes, both uh, cyclists and runners and uh, whatever, um, are sort of in unknown territory. Because up until relatively recently in sort of human history terms, um, human beings haven't Exercised past the age of 40 because it's a luxury that we have and previous generations didn't have.
0: Yeah, that's right. And that's the kind of one of the founding pillars of the book, actually, and really is that if you think about our parents or my parents, you know, they stopped doing anything active really mid 20s when they had kids and they would do the occasional workout or whatever, but they didn't, it wasn't any structured exercise. So if you look back at the 200 or so thousand generations of biped, we are the first ever generation trying to exercise immoderately peak elite performance into middle age it's never happened before with the crash test dummies generation and so nobody actually knows what happens so is it hard to
1: work out actually whether exercising past 40 is good for you everyone assumes that within certain parameters it is but we don't actually know do we yeah,
0: that's right. There are, there are unknowns, Ian. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you, the overall umbrella, it goes in layers, this subject, so let's deal with it in layers. The overall, yes, exercise is tremendously beneficial for you. Tremendously. That's the over, overarching message. But then within that, it is more nuanced, way more nuanced. If you exercise moderately into middle age and beyond, even into old age, it's unquestionably good for you, unquestionably the cognitive benefits, the cardiovascular benefits the feel-good benefits, everything is positive. But to exercise immoderately, and I, by that I mean the kind of exercise that we're used to and the people that we know do, there are question marks, undoubtedly. Now, probably when, it, when all this washes out after the longitudinal studies and I do the revision of this book in 20 years time, it will almost certainly be the case that actually that was good for you also. That's my opinion. But I and, and, and I'm, I'm going to qualify so that I have no evidence of that right now. So the book is actually taking up the evidence that we do have, looking at all the research that has been conducted, and then on every subject, making a, a, an informed judgment.
1: Because I'm sure you, know, you shouldn't rely on anecdotes, but uh, a lot of people will know, and certainly just in the circle of people that I know who sort of do bike racing at uh, uh, you know, a more senior age, um, a significant number have... Problems with their heart, or you know, something develops with their with their heart, and that may yeah, that may be connected, or it may not be. But that is a that is a worry, isn't it, for a lot of people?
0: Yeah, and it's not a worry for a lot of people either. Uh, so there's a, there's a if you think about it, there's the unworried well. And there's you know the worried well, and there's 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 many groups out there. Some people are kind of just Peter Pan about it. I'm just going to keep you know knocking my head against this exercise wall until I fall over. There's other people that are slightly hypochondriacal about it, and of course those are two extremes. In the middle, in the middle of the bell curve, is people who are taking a sensible view of it about. You know, they are 55, maybe 60, and they're still seeking to exercise very, very hard 12, 14 hours a week, go and do multi stage events in the mountains, et cetera, et cetera. All of that, I think, is thoroughly laudable. This book says, absolutely brilliant, and, and you should, if you really enjoy it, continue with that. However, let's just think about the things that you should be considering now and what steps could you put in place. Uh, so, there's a, there's a knowledge gap for a lot of people out there. Uh, because they're being proselytised on one side, saying exercise will kill you. On the other side, no, it's a panacea, go for it. And both those two extremes are just extremes. Um, So the whole book book seeks to inform people as well as enthuse them.
1: One of the slightly depressing things about the book is that you do sort of detail... (laughs) Exactly what goes wrong with your body, what stops working, you know, as you get older. And um there's a sense that it's almost inevitable,
0: isn't it? You know, bits are gonna stop working or slow down or not be as good. Yeah. But I do say in the book frequently, but I do say it quite clearly, you know, it's a fool's errand to try and make old people young, but it's enormously fun to try and make old people fast. That's fun and it's very, very good for you, almost certainly. But trying to make you young again is, is ridiculous. So I think that's the first little hurdle you've got to overcome. And you're right, you can track, you know, some of this stuff is quite linear. Um, for example, something like uh, men's testosterone decline over the years from 30. It's quite, it's, it's a predictable path generally. Some of this stuff is predictable in terms of decline and some of it is a bit more chaotic. But you're right to say there, is, there are trends here that can be mapped. And have been mapped.
1: Yeah. You talk in the book to Nigel Stevens, who's a um, leading cardiologist, but also an extremely good uh, master's racer. And uh, to paraphrase him, and if you're listening, um, yeah, I'm sorry, Nigel, this is a paraphrase. Uh, he broadly says that uh, cycling, even at a high level, will give you um, improved heart and lung capacity at the risk of broken bones um but that's something that you have to weigh up yourself which which which
0: uh, i guess is a pretty good summary of it isn't it yeah and nigel is a friend a client i'm a client or i'm a patient of his um so our relationship is quite multi-layered i've known nigel for many years and he's in the book because one he's a superb cardiologist second he's a superb cyclist and thirdly he just comes out with the best pithy one-liners i've ever heard so and the one you're alluding to i think is that we trade cardiovascular and cognitive protection for the occasional orthopaedic incident which is just beautiful and i could have made that the title of the book and i think it's absolutely right uh, the heart of the matter is that you, you're almost certainly, if you cycle and cycle hard or immoderately, almost certainly to be cognitively protected and have cardiovascular protection, um, but you are occasionally going to fall off and hurt something. So that's, you know, that's the proposition. If you're going to exercise
1: you know, immoderately after a certain age, is cycling worse or, or
0: better for you than something like running or swimming or are there different uh, advantages? I think the answer is counterintuitive. The better cyclist you want to be post-50, the more you probably have to drop cycling sessions out. And put something else in to compensate. So you probably actually need to drop a cycling session out, put a gym session in, a running session in, some other, some other sport in, to work on bone density, to work on muscle fibre loss, to substitute all the demands that cycling is making upon the body for something else. So it's a counterintuitive thing that the more you cycle, the more you seek cycling performance, the, probably, the more you need to, to cast your net a bit wider in terms of activity base. Um, I'm not sure that was your question no
1: that, that, that kind of was I mean uh, because cycling is you know, one of the things that people always say is good about cycling is, is, is it's low impact unless you fall off um, but it's, it's low, relatively low impact on your bones and there's not a lot of um, weight bearing but actually uh, one of the things you should do as you get older is probably do some weight and some impact
0: yeah so cycling's greatest the reason hip surgeons and physios love cycling and always prescribe it is because it's, it's not you know, traumatic on your body if your bike's set up properly. But actually your body needs a bit of trauma. It needs a bit of micro-tear you know, in the muscles and the bones to try and generate them to re-heal stronger. So cycling in some senses, when you get to our age, my age, is too kind. You actually need to kind of, you need to do some of, the, some of your base with cycling and then challenge your body a little bit in a different way. And the other thing about cycling, of course, is that we do, it, we ex- we do cycling with hip and spine flexion now hip and spine flexion are not natural um, postures for for human bipeds it's not natural for us so it's good to try and think about something where we're not in flexion we are actually in fact in extension so sports you could think about would be an extension it could be running it could be paddle boarding it could be swimming and I think it's good for middle-aged athletes seeking performance to spend some time in extension.
1: Have you found uh, sort of amongst your clients, and uh, you do, I think, touch on this in, in, in the book as well, um, is, is there a difference between people who've you know, exercised well their whole life and, uh, and have continued past 40 or those people who sort of come to retirement and think, oh, I'll take up cycling and... Go and ride the ATAP or something. Is, are there different um, challenges and different problems?
0: Yes, there is, and that, I think that's. I think you're right to draw this down as a distinction. Um, a lot of our clients came to cycling a bit late. They came from another sport. They couldn't do any more. And other clients came from being from from being sedentary. Now the advice now it seems to be a. You, this is where the cardiologists I think link hands, including Dr. Nigel Stevens. If you are coming to cycling as a middle aged person and you've largely been sedentary for the last 30, 40 years or whatever it is, this is when you should actually take probably quite a medically-based trajectory. So you should seek your help, your GP, say, look, I am going to start doing this. So I do think we need to put some structure in place here. And then they'll probably do what's called a Q-risk score. They might do a scan to look at your calcium scores in your coronary arteries. They'll put much more procedure in place. And if you're somebody who's always cycled hard or ran hard and you're just seeking to preserve it, I do think they're different streams. Neither one's necessarily more risky than the other, but I think the advice is different and I think I draw that out in the book, and it's certainly, I think, most the cardiologists now accept that that's the case. That if you're, and I think not to, to quote another beautiful Nigel Stevens, if you've been sedentary for all these years, you're exercise silent. You don't know what your body, how your body's going to react if you start challenging it quite hard. Um, so rather than challenge it hard, then find out, why not find out and then challenge it hard? And I think that's extremely good advice.
1: One of your chapters is cheerfully called Will I Die? And I'm going to ask you to answer that in a minute. Uh, but first, Orla Shenwee has an important message for us. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert. But I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinawi, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication, go to ruler.cc
0: I'll leave you to it.
1: Thanks, Aula, and subscribers get 10% off tickets to the best cycling show in the world, Ruler Live, which returns to London from November the 4th to the 6th with a great selection of top brands, bikes and guests, including Anna van der Breggen, Geraint Thomas, Romain Bardet, Marcel Kittel, Fabian Cancellara, Imogen Cotter, Matt Stevens, Ned Bolting and from the legendary Italian bike brand Fausto Pinarello. Search Ruler Live online for tickets. You're listening to Ruler Conversations, brought to you by la bicycle insurance powered by the community.
0: So my name is Oren Peleg and I'm an investor in Laka Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry which is a very large industry and I think needs change. The second thing is is I'm deeply passionate about getting people on wheel. We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis and I believe that Two wheels have a massive role to play in that. And the third thing is I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have. And I think LACA's business model in the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment.
1: You're listening to Realer Conversations. I'm Ian Parkinson, and I'm with Phil Cavell of CycleFit. So, Phil, um, the answer to your chapter heading, will I die?
0: Uh, Yes, you will, Ian.
1: And cycling's not going to help that much?
0: No, cycling almost certainly will help you a lot and push out that date. Almost certainly, you know, I think it's... it's, Cycling and exercise is is the best uh, drug that the pharmaceutical industry never invented. Almost certainly. And it will preserve your lifespan. Almost certainly, yes. But... It can't make you immortal, or me, sadly.
1: Your primary um, area of exercise is bike fit and the biomechanics of of cycling. How how did you first get into that?
0: Uh, About 30 years ago, uh, myself and my co-director Julian, who's around here at the moment somewhere, uh, we were both injured, both really interested in the subject. Uh, Our doctors and surgeons could tell us a lot about what was going on organically with our bodies, but couldn't say how that would change how we would interface with a bike. And at the time, not much was known, certainly in Europe, about this. So we made it our business to find out, um, and that process took a few years—a good few years—and um, eventually we started CycleFit in 2001, 2002, and which we launched as a as a service, uh, which is obviously very different to how it is now. But it's 20 years we've been offering bike fitting, and at the time we were the only people in Europe offering bike fitting or like this at least so it was it was quite a strange time it was a bit of a launch into the unknown
1: I think I first sort of seriously set up my bike probably about 40 years ago with a plumb line and a tape measure and a book that said where your knee should be over the crank Um, and I don't think I've actually done much to it since just shifted it from one bike to another I imagine you're going to tell me that's not a good idea
0: uh, well, you could take two views of it. You could either say that nothing's broken, don't fix it. And that's a perfectly sensible view. And you know, if you're achieving all you want to achieve on the bike, you're comfortable, you're doing everything you need to do, you haven't got any problems whatsoever, then you could definitely take the view that it's not broken, don't fix it. Or you could take the view that these things are inherently cumulative, that it's not, you don't get the issue on mile one, you get the issue on mile hundred and thousand and one, and that what are you storing up? I'm fairly open to both those ways of thinking, but, of course, I'm heavily invested in the latter. And it does really depend on what kind of person you are. Some people have a huge tolerance for maladjustments, and their body adapts around it, and they crack on. You see some pros with
1: absolutely appalling bike positions, don't you?
0: You do. And, of course, that's our hobby. When we're, you know, any downtime, we're looking at, you know, pro racing and... Um, we look after quite a few of them, n- none of the ones with bad positions, of course um, and that's, you, know, you, you can critique them you definitely can where they 've left they 've left a stone unturned in the bike fit process, and there 's an issue and they 're adapting around the issue and they 've probably got no idea they are, and they 'll either be okay, and that will be fine, or they won 't and it sort of depends on you know how flexible they are, how strong they are what kind of racing they do. Um, but yeah, you do see some horrendous positions.
1: What's sort of changed in the thinking and the process in that sort of 30 years since you started? Have there been some really significant changes?
0: Yeah, so for example, you were talking about Neva pedal spindle. Uh, and when we first started bike fitting back in over 20 years ago, yeah, Neva pedal spindle was a feature. And we barely ever, we barely ever reference it now, talk about it. If somebody's interested, we'll just say, okay, fine, well, we'll measure it for you and have a look. And then we'll put a laser up the middle of the pedal spindle, up the middle of the knee and say, well, look, there is your Neva pedal spindle as a matter of interest. But we don't really reference it. We're much more interested in the centre of gravity, for example. So um, that would be one example where you know that we've lost neither pedal spindle as a, as a reference point because it's compromised by ankling style so some people are very toe down some people are very heel down that changes your neither pedal spindle for a start
1: and is there a better or a worse because you know again people were obsessed a few years ago with uh... Where your toes and where your ankles were when you were pedalling.
0: It's true that really has changed. So when I was being, well, we were being, I was being coached, you know, late 80s, early 90s. The thought was that you really wanted to drop your heel, especially when you climbed. Now, not so much. I mean, we're very much that you, the best and most powerful position, the most dynamic position, is where you keep the foot positively, the heel positively raised over the pedal, spindle, all the way through the pedal um, cycle. So if you've got 15 degrees of ankle lift at the top of the pedal stroke, you know, 15 degrees at the bottom would be, would be good. And if you look at the way modern pros ride now, they don't really ankle that much. They really just, you know, they have a, a short, sharp power stroke. And when
1: people um, come and see you, is there a sort of, uh, are there a couple of things that uh, are really common that you can spot? First of all, is, is there a sort of a common issue that people come with?
0: Yeah, number one, ref- referring pain is foot pain. So, hence, we have a podiatrist here. So, uh, we have three different kind of foot orthotic solutions, custom, off the peg, or um, a prescription orthotic. So, uh, if we have a unique standout ethos, it would be the foot. That's our kind of, I guess, our speciality. Um, and, And maybe because, maybe that's why, but our number one referring pain is foot pain. And if you had to then go a little bit more precise... Pain on the outside of the foot is our most common pain.
1: Do women present with a
0: particular set of issues and uh, with a particular set of needs? Uh, there's two sides to this. Women present with um, generally present with different issues. They do have the foot issues, but they also have a lot of saddle pressure issues, especially if they're riding quite an aggressive position. Um, but also they're uniquely equipped to train longer and harder, it seems, than men, without having the same problems that we have. They don't have, it seems, the issues with atrial fibrillation, which is one of the issues that men get. They don't seem to have the um, atherosclerosis in their coronary arteries that some of the men, male athletes have. It seems that they, um, they can manage their kind of inflammation, stress burden in their bodies a little bit better. Therefore, they can seem to stay a lot healthier than we do. Um, now, no one really knows why. Is this... Is this 30 years, 40 years of protection from estrogen? Is this the fact they've got two X chromosomes and a lot of the um, immune is carried on the X chromosome? Who knows? But it seems that as women get into their middle age and beyond, they seem to have several structural advantages over male athletes, which could mean that they are outperforming us in years, in decades to come. I wouldn't be surprised if they're outperforming us age matched
1: and are you seeing more female um, customers each year as well
0: yeah absolutely and and they're, and they're training hard they're racing hard they're setting quite ambitious goals and they're meeting them and they don't seem to be having the same a lot of the same problems that, 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 that men are having um, so it's very I think it's really encouraging
1: and going back to a uh, midlife cyclist um, if there was one piece of advice you would give someone who's you know really wants to advance their cycling past the age of 40 or 50 what would it be it
0: would be try and look at a broader basket of metrics other than just ftp functional threshold power it would be i would say enjoy your cycling enjoy the way that you increase your performance in cycling as a broader basket how you climb how you descend how poised you feel on the bike how much you enjoy cycling Maybe look at a broader basket of metrics other than just looking at functional threshold power.
1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: I would say my number, number one tip, not that it's not, it doesn't have a place, it just isn't the only metric in town. Phil Cavell
1: of CycleFit, good to talk to you. And the Midlife Cyclist, the roadmap for the 40-plus rider, is out now, published by Bloomsbury. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Ian. And that's it from this uh, Ruler Conversations. There'll be a Ruler Tech podcast along next week.